Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you please take your Bibles and open them to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1 in a Bible study that I've entitled, The Crisis is God's Tool to Get More of You. The Crisis is God's Tool to Get More of You. And chapter 1 opens up with great difficulty and desperation. We're introduced to a woman by the name of Hannah, and she is in a miserable place of desperation in her life. She's barren, unable to produce children. She's married to a man who has another wife. She is watching that other wife bear children, and that other woman is taunting her, mistreating her, and making life even more miserable for her. So Hannah is sad, she's broken, she's misunderstood, and she's desperate. Yet out of Hannah's broken desperation, she came to a place of dedication and surrender like never before. That God used all of these circumstances in her life to draw her into a deeper, more fruitful relationship with him where desperation became dedication. And so Hannah, she does in this time what many of us would do. She goes to the place of worship, a particular place that represented the worship of God. She heads to the tabernacle. She's looking for help. What we would say today is that she's in such a difficult place that she goes to church. She goes to church looking for help. And when she arrives, she begins to pray and seek God for her difficulty. Notice in verse 12 with me in 1 Samuel chapter 1. It says, and it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. And Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. So he heads to the place of worship and is met by Eli, a corrupt priest. And instead of ministering to her and serving her and encouraging her in the things of Yahweh, he accuses her of being drunk. Get out of here, drunk woman. Stop drinking. And here she is at every place that she's turning, she's met with resistance. No one can help her. No one will help her. And she responds so graciously, no, my Lord, I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. It's, it's really one of the most beautiful descriptions of what we read in Romans chapter 8 when Paul speaks of a time where the Holy Spirit's in us and he says, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And with Hannah, there was no sound, there was no utterance, just the groaning of her spirit praying desperately with her faithful God. And it's too often that our prayers, our prayer life is merely just from our head and not from our hearts. Where we go through the motions and we do have a prayer life but it's not desperate. 
It becomes ritual or routine. And how God wants to deepen our prayer life. And you know what he does to do that? He brings about painful trials and hardships and allows great difficulties to enter into our lives. And I know that God sometimes will bring us to that place of utter desperation and despair, which then brings us to a deeper place of prayer, a place of really a crossroads, a place of decision. Will we press into the things of God no matter what we feel and no matter what we see, or will we turn away from God? Will we be crushed under the weight of the trial in the earthly realm, or will we bear up under the weight in the spiritual realm from the Lord? And it brings us to a place of growth that we don't normally enter into, that we don't normally experience when we really get desperate before God. I know for me personally, for my family personally, when my son Eddie died in May of 2013, our lives have become one desperate cry for his presence. Mixed in with a little bit of resistance and pride and battling in the spiritual realm, but our prayer lives have become, you know, give me, don't give me something, God, give me you. I'm not coming to God with a whole list of things that I want from him anymore. Of all the things I want him to work out and place in order and take care of this, but rather, the desperation becomes, God, I need more of you. That's why I need more of you. You're sovereign in my life. You're in the control of my life. You save me. I trust in you. And so Hannah, she responds, I'm not drunk. I'm desperate. I'm expecting God to answer me. I'm so desperate. I don't have any words to say. I'm praying to God in my heart, and I'm overwhelmed by my circumstance. And she comes to that place of trust and faith and prayer. She's responding very graciously and kindly. What, what I believe is a great example of that peace that passes all understanding because the sister's really going through it. Now, I have to say that it's easier, and I'm sure many of you would agree, it's easier to study these things in someone else's life than it is to live it out in our own. I mean, that's what, that's what we would want. I, I'd love to open up the Bible and study this person, study this person, and learn all the lessons in life that I need to learn by studying someone else's life. And, and if, if, that is, if that is not how you feel, then for those that don't feel that way, then I'm sure it's the way that you would prefer to not have to go through these types of things, but rather to learn it from someone else. But that's not the way of God. God uses our life circumstances and our difficulties to bring us closer to him. That's his plan. It's in times of great distress that God develops great faith. And it's times of great difficulty that God develops great prayer lives. And it's times of great agony that God develops great men and women who completely devote themselves eternally to the things of God so that finally our hearts are pouring out and resonating with Jesus when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And our hearts respond, yes, Lord, I want to seek the things of the kingdom. This is outside of my control. But there's a battle, isn't there? We're all engaged in this battle as followers of Jesus Christ. It's the battle that the Bible describes as the flesh against the spirit. The flesh against the spirit. Now for those of you not too familiar with the Bible, you might think of flesh as the skin on your body, but that's not what the Bible's teaching. When the Bible uses the word flesh, it's a technical word that's used to describe life apart from God. The way we live life without God 
For many of us, the way we lived a life without God before we got saved. It refers to the sinful habit patterns that we have in life that we revert to when times get tough. The idols in our life that we worship and we prop up. The things that we run to. Some listening to me right now, the temptation is before you to turn back to the bottle in this crisis. That's what you think. You think if I could just numb the pain, if I can just not feel it for a while, I'll do so much more. And yet God warned you today, don't turn back to the Bible. No, turn back to the Bible. Don't turn back to the bottle because it will destroy you. And if it's not the bottle, it's the pills. And if it's not the bottle, if it's not the pills, it's the leaves. And whatever it is that you can get out of your situation physically, even if just for a moment, mentally. And there are testimony after testimony among us that would say, don't do it. Don't do it. It'll only make things worse. The battle between the flesh and the spirit, the eternal perspective of God, the power of God that resides in every true believer that the power that lives for God, like the, the animated power of God living in you, there's a battle because you want to go this way and the Spirit wants to take you this way, but you want to go this way, take things into your own hands. And Hannah here is in a crisis, a severe crisis like she's never experienced before in her life. And she's gone just about as far as she can go in all of her worship and desire and prayer. She's about as far as she can go her pain leads her to the tabernacle. She needs to hear. While, the, while Eli comes and says, you're drunk, notice what's really happening in verse 10. What's really happening in Hannah's heart is that she was in bitterness of soul and she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. How careful we need to be when we're serving other people as if we know everything that's going on in their life. We don't. And the last thing someone in pain needs is some accusation some assumption, especially from those of us that follow God and are spiritual leaders. She's met with an unspiritual, uncaring, insensitive spiritual leader. All of this after she's met with a a husband that that doesn't really get it, doesn't really understand. Notice with me in verse 8 of chapter one, as she is sharing and weeping and not eating, she's just going through it. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? To which we all yell, no, you knucklehead. No, you don't, you don't even, you know, men, you need to be sensitive to your wives. And if you think, well, aren't I good enough for all the things that you're missing? I'll answer that for her right now. No. She needs you to understand and study her and minister to her and be patient with her. Hannah is at a loss. Everywhere she's turned, there's no help. And so she faithfully turns to the Lord and doesn't stop. You see, with Hannah... With Hannah, you have to understand something because we're so familiar with the Bible. We read the Bible so much that we forget, and it's easy to forget, that, that, that people in the Bible are living this real time. Hannah doesn't know how this is gonna end. She doesn't know. 
And for all intents and purposes, as she's turned every other way, there's a, there could be an equal expectation that this isn't going to work either. God has abandoned me. Where is he? It would be very natural to feel it. She doesn't know how it ends. We know how it ends because we have the whole book. She doesn't know how it ends. Just like you today, you don't know how it's going to end, this side of eternity. You don't know. You don't know when it's going to end. And you're living it right now, in this moment, this time, right now. But you don't know. You don't know how God's going to work. You don't know when it's going to end. You don't know. But we can take great courage and we can take great comfort of how God has helped men and women of the past to bring things to resolution in their lives. See, she doesn't know. And yet she cries out all the more. Those times in our lives where we are met with severe spiritual crisis are always used by God. In the end, we'll be able to declare them as the good tools in the hand of God. You know, the trial itself isn't good. The results of sin aren't good. You know, when, when God tells us that he's working all things together for the good, for those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose. That, that verse, that truth is not saying everything's good. But rather God will take all the good and all the bad and work them together in his will and his purposes. And as we look back on things in our lives, we can see how God's used things in the past. Where we are met now again with a spiritual fork in the road. A place of great monumental decision. We come to the end of ourselves and all of our resources and we don't see any good in it at all from the human side. It's all bad as far as we're concerned. And yet from heaven's perspective, we will be able to see God as a potter with clay in his hands, spinning the wheel of circumstance and life and fashioning and molding that clay into exactly what the potter wants it to be. And all along the way, we just kind of feel like a lump of clay and there's no purpose. And what will turn out of this? What will come out of this? And yet, all the while, the wheel is spinning. The wheel is spinning and the potter's molding and we're hurting, maybe even wondering what in the world is God gonna do with this? Once in a while, God deals with us. And he deals with us in such a way where he wants us just to stop and put everything on the table with him. He wants our whole heart offered to him. He desires for us to bring, to come, he desires to bring us to a whole new level of commitment and service and readiness and faith and trust that in many cases we didn't even know was possible in our lives. Now there aren't many of these huge crises in our lives, but there are some. And I realize and recognize that many of you are in the middle of it right now. And God wants to remind us that he's drawing something out of us, adding something to us as he fashions and molds our life. That's where Hannah is and where many men and women of the Bible have been. That great cloud of witnesses of the faithfulness of God if you're taking notes, just jot down a few names. You'll, you'll read the Bible a little differently in light of this theology of suffering. I'm reminded of Abraham. What a man of worship. What a man of faith. What a man of integrity. He loved God. And the Bible says that he built many altars, which speaks to us of a life of worship and sacrifice. 
He, he stepped out in faith to obey God, to go to a land that he didn't know where he was going. But then there was that time when God requested the sacrifice of his son, Isaac. You'll remember Isaac. This is the promised child of God given to Abram and Sarai in their latter years, 99, 100 years old, and God produces a miracle in the womb and brings about Isaac, and there they are living. This is the child that came after Ishmael as they tried to attempt the will of God in their flesh. And what does God say? Give me Isaac. Sacrifice him, Abraham. And in the biggest crisis of his life, he took Isaac up on to the mountaintop to sacrifice him, only to find out that God wasn't really asking for Isaac, he was asking for Abraham. And it was there that God intervened and said, no, 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 I have provided myself a sacrifice. And it was through Abraham's faith that we have the greatest picture, one of the greatest pictures of Jesus Christ coming to sacrifice his life for you and me. Oh, if not Abraham, what about Moses? Moses described in the Bible as a man, the most humble man to ever walk on the planet Earth. A humble servant, faithful, that I believe at an early age he recognized the calling of God upon his life as the deliverer. And what a miraculous story in Moses' life to preserve his life and to preserve him to be faithful in obeying God. But in that desire to deliver, he took things into his own hands and he broke up a fight between an Egyptian and an Israeli and he ends up killing the Egyptian. He ends up doing something that God never asked him to do, taking things into his own hands. And it was after that murder that Moses finds himself on the backside of the desert, a place of decision. But it was in the wilderness that he learned, in the desert times, that he learned to worship God, he learned to hear God's voice. And then he came to that place where the bush in front of him started to burn. Isn't that amazing? There he is, rehearsing all the difficulties of life, learning to worship, and then there's a bush that is on fire. And not only is it on fire, but it begins to speak to him. And what's so miraculous is Moses listens to the bush. Now, I don't want you guys going out into your backyard <laughs> expecting the bush that's on fire. Get the fire extinguisher. I mean, you want to step out in faith, great. But hey, he listens and God speaks to him and raises him up as a deliverer. And he chooses to walk through the pain to be used of God to deliver the children of Israel. God wanted more of Moses, not less. He wanted Moses to learn how to trust in him more, not less. How about David? David, that young boy who loved God and he worshiped God and he obeyed his daddy and enjoyed so many wonderful experiences from the Lord. He's the one in the Bible that the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. And yet early in his young life, God brings him to the valley to look down on a giant. To, Goliath is there blaspheming God. Goliath is there calling to the armies, I'll kill you and I'll kill everything about you. I'll destroy you. Your God is nothing. And there's David looking at Goliath, rising to the challenge, 
where he's at that fork in the road and he chooses, no, I will go through. You see, David, he killed lions and he killed bears and here he is facing Goliath and God is asking more from David, not less. I want all of you, David. I have plans for your life. Much more than this giant. Then there's Joshua. Joshua is a man who had been around a lot of military campaigns. He was a very faithful servant alongside Moses. He sat in very high-level leadership positions, making very important decisions. He fought and led Israel in many battles and many victories. And there he is on the, on, on, on the banks or on the edge of the city of Jericho wondering, I don't know about this one. I don't know. This is too much. The walls are too high. And we see him in the beginning of the book of Joshua just really wrestling with fear and anxiety and he's concerned and, and that's, when, that's when a man showed up with a sword in his hand and immediately caught Joshua's attention. He said, who are you for? And the answer was, neither. I'm not for you or against you. God sent me here. God sent me here to encourage you, to prepare you. Joshua is a man of worship, a man of faithful integrity, yet his worship had become regular and routine, and there are those times when God just wants more, and he'll use these startling times in our lives. And what happened with Jericho? God gave them the plans, and God gave them the victory. It's going to be okay, Joshua, because I'm going to fight for you. Trust me. And there's Daniel. Daniel, a faithful man of prayer, worship, devotion, dedication, loving God with all of his heart. And he had, to, he had to experience his friends being thrown into the fiery furnace for their faith. He, he had to experience his own time, his own time of being thrown into a den of lions. You know, we read the Bible so much, we just, Daniel was thrown in a den of lions. These weren't little kitty cats. They were real lions, and yet God, he's telling Daniel, I want more of you. Will you trust me in the lion's den as much as you trust me in your prayer closet? And Daniel rises to the occasion, and God shut the mouths of the lions, and he got the glory, and he also had, got more devotion out of Daniel than he ever had before. And there are those times in our lives. There are those marriage crises. There are times when the money runs out, when the job disappears, when adultery enters in, when the house burns down, when the kids go sideways, when the loneliness swallows you up, when fears and anxiety rule and they grow. But God is using them. You may not even see it for years until after the fact, but God is using them. God is saying, I want you and I want more of you, and I want all of you, and God is going to use the crises in our lives to get more of you. And that's what we learn with Hannah. They end up being wonderful times, glorious times, precious and dear. Maybe you feel like Hannah today, barren, taunted, misunderstood, mishandled, lonely, forgotten, anguished, desperate, and it's this crisis that God is getting more of her, more of you. Something pops into our lives. It just appears. We didn't expect it, didn't plan for it. And we so quickly cry out, not fair, God. Not fair. Listen, friends, please, listen to me. 
Whatever God says is fair. And whatever God does is fair. You see, because God, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and for me so that forever we would define justice and fairness by the cross of Jesus Christ and nothing else. You see, the Bible says that God sent the just for the unjust. He sent the just for the unjust. And early on in our relationship with God, we agree with that. Yes, you are just God and I am unjust. But over time, through a series of good works, by being in church for a while and doing good things and reading my Bible and helping other people and giving to the poor and tithing and before long we begin to think, no, I'm the just. I'm the just. Look how much I've done for you, God. And then a crisis comes in and, and our immediate response in the temporary is, it's not fair. And God will gently and he will carefully take our eyes back to the cross and say that, that is the definition of fairness. My son for you, the just for the unjust, the innocent for the guilty, for the guilty. Whatever God says is fair and whatever he does is fair. You know, we think God we think God just works in sterile environments, you know, that God, when he is fashioning and molding us, it's a very clinical thing in our minds. We think, well, he's just going to know what I need. He's going to add it to me, you know, that everything is just clean, that he only uses clean types of tools. And, you know, I get the picture of a hospital. You're just in a hospital. You're ready for surgery. You just know everything's clean. The surgeons have scrubbed, and it's just going to be completely clean environment, and everything's going to go well, and, and we're just going to be in and out, and it's all routine, but that's not reality. It's not even reality in the hospital. You're kind of thinking everything's clean until you get up and find out that they only gave you half a gown. <laughs> and you're walking down and going, boo, you only got half a gown. Because not, not, not all is as it seems. And in reality, isn't it true that God, when he works in our lives, it's a, it's a pretty messy thing. Because sin is what's corrupted us. And when God gets down and deals with us, it's a very messy thing. It's not as clean as a sterile as you might think. And that's why it's easy to dismiss trials and tribulations like they're not going to be used by God because they're not so clean and they're not so sterile. No, they're very hard, very difficult, very unpredictable, very emotional. I mean, if you think of Hannah right now, she is going through everything. She's got a physical condition. She's got a spiritual condition. She, she has an emotional condition. Like everything about her, she's being attacked on everything. On top of that, she also has the pressure of her barrenness. Not only is that such a deep emotional thing as so many listening to me have experienced this or might even be experiencing this right now. And it's so, but for her, it was also cultural. She was shamed in her culture by not being able to have a child. She was looked down. It could, she couldn't on anywhere on the planet. She couldn't look for help, but God. And it happens to you and to me, not just to Hannah. Hannah's our sister. We're going to meet her in heaven. And this is where she is. We're learning and we'll learn that God is on the throne. And when he isn't allowed to rule, he overrules. 
He's the Lord of hosts, and his purposes and will for us will be accomplished. God shows, in his Bible, God shows us that he uses all kinds of things to bring us to where he wants us. He uses Babylonians. He uses Amalekites. He uses wind. He uses storms. He uses death. He uses sickness. He uses people. He uses gossip. You name it, God uses it. Why? Because he wants more of you. He wants you deeper in his walk with you. So like Hannah, you say, I'm not drunk, I'm desperate. I'm praying, expecting God to answer. Notice with me in verse 19 now. Remember, Hannah doesn't know how it ends, but we're gonna learn how it ends. Then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned Then I'll take him, and he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. And so the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Prayer almost always ends with worship. And here we learn very quickly in Hannah's life that God remembered her and she gave birth to a child. And this child's name is Samuel. His name literally means heard of God or appointed or asked of God. This is God's answer. She received the child. It's such a glorious thing when the assurance of God's word comes to our hearts and establishes us. Like the psalmist said in Psalm 119 verse 38, establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. God, you're sovereign. God, you love me. God, you care. You hear. You answer. What a peace that comes and floods our soul. And in naming her baby, Hannah remembered that his delivery was an answer to prayer directly from God. And Elkanah now goes back to worship and she stays behind. Notice in verse 24. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her and three bowls, one ephah of flour, a skin of wine, brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh and the child was young. And they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. And that word Lord is Yahweh, Jehovah. I've been praying to Yahweh. I've been praying to Jehovah. And here's the kid. Here's the answer. Verse 27, for this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I've also lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. Can you imagine being there watching this? They say the weaning period was about three years. So some commentators say that Sam is about three years old now. And she finally brings him, and where does she go? She goes right back to the place of worship. The same priest is there. His name is Eli, and what what does Hannah do? She goes and says, hey, do you remember the time? Do you remember back? Remember that back? I was praying. Okay, maybe you don't remember, but I was praying, and here, here's the child. This is God's answer to prayer. And, And what ministers to my heart here is very important because she doesn't use the failure of Eli as an excuse to fulfill her vow to God because people will fail you and pastors will fail you 
And spouses will fail you. And friends will fail you. And this world will fail you. And you will be met with failure at every turn. But God will never, ever fail you. He will never turn his back on you. And listen, please don't allow the failure of men and women to somehow convince you to believe the lie that you don't need to fulfill your vow to God. Your vow was to God, not to man. And, in, and, and what Hannah does is she sets aside the failure of Eli. She looks past it. Love, like the Bible says, covers a multitude of sins. And she said, I mean, she could have said, I'm not leaving my kid. This is a real baby dedication, right? We had a baby dedication last night where we had the family come up. The utilities bring little Judah. I had Judah in my hands right here. And my hand was up on him. He was slobbering all down my arm, all up in my watch. And he's pulling at me while we're praying. And then after I'm done praying, after we lift him up to the Lord, guess what I got to do? Here's Judah. Give him right back. Here he is. That, that's the, the baby dedications that, you know, parents don't leave their kids here. And by the way, don't, don't even get the idea, all right? <laughs> don't even get the idea. Samuel, this dedication, she left him. You train this young man, he is dedicated to the Lord. He belongs to the Lord, just like all of our children. Our children belong to the Lord. They're on loan to us to raise them, disciple them in the ways of the Lord, but they belong to the Lord. And Samuel, he was left there. And she comes to the, I don't care how he treated me, I don't care, this is my dedication. And, and I've heard it before, guys, I've heard it so many times. You know, I've heard people say, I'm not going back to that church. They failed me there. That pastor didn't help me, didn't return my phone call, didn't help me, and for those things, we apologize because mistakes are made. But don't let someone's failure become an excuse where you refuse to obey God. Nothing excuses us from obeying God. And follow Hannah's example. What a, what a tremendous testimony. This is the answer to my prayer. Samuel, raise him and train him how to be a man of God. Here's God's hand. It's just so sweet to see how it ended because because, you know, for those of you that are misunderstood today, and those of you that are forgotten, and those of you that are lonely and taunted, and those of you that are desperate, desperate, desperate before God, God is answering your prayer. Trust him. He wants more of you. How do I know that? Because the crisis in your life has brought you to a fork in the road. You will either choose to follow God and press in, or you will choose to leave God and run away. And leaving God and running away will never, ever, ever get you the will of God. The chapter opens with great desperation and difficulty, but how does the chapter end? The chapter ends in worship. Do you see that? The chapter ends in verse 28, so they worship Jehovah there. They worship Jehovah there. That is the promise of God to you today, to worship him. God is bringing you to the place of worship. And so today I want to invite you. So let's just stand to our feet. Let's stand up as our service is coming to a close. Please don't leave. Because for those of you that came here today 
and you are in a difficulty, and there's a desperation, and, and the things that I listed are a part of your life, maybe things I didn't list, I want you to come by faith to, to, during this last song, as Pastor Ian and the worship team comes back, during this last song, I want you to come and I want you to bring your crisis to God, and I want you to bring it with this in mind. God, I want this verse in my life. I want to worship you. I want this verse to come alive. I want my chapter to end in worship. And, and some of you just need to come by faith. You come by faith. You bring your Bible with you. Just have your hand on, Lord, I, and just bring your burden, bring the person, bring the situation, bring the circumstance, and respond to what God has spoken to you today. And like Hannah, Hannah is a real woman. We're gonna meet her in heaven. She ended in worship. God answered her prayer. And God's gonna answer your prayer as well and he's gonna use this situation. So wherever you are, just start coming up and, and bring, bring, you can use this stage as an altar unto the Lord and, and just come and say, God, I bring you this situation. I bring you my heart. I bring you my desperation. Maybe this is a step of desperation. Just start, start coming and let God give you a response to the message. And we're gonna also respond with song. There's a song with the words. They're gonna speak directly to this. And so just come, don't be embarrassed. Like, don't be embarrassed because the desperation is God's tool. This crisis is God's tool to get more of you. So start now. Don't wait till you go home. Don't get ripped off in your car on some radio station. Don't think about tomorrow or three years from now. Today is the day. Let God speak to you. Listen. Yesterday was a very hard day for me and my wife. Just one of those hard days. And it was harder for me than it was for Marie. So she spent about an hour and a half in our bedroom just giving me the word, telling me, correcting my thinking, bringing me back on path, on and on. So this was, I taught this message to my wife last night sitting. It was very difficult to teach this message. You want to know why? Because an hour and a half on our bed, in our bedroom, she taught me this message. So I don't want you to think that guys that stand behind pulpits have it all together or that we, we, we just have all the answers. I mean, I do have all the answers, but man, it's just as hard to live the Christian life for me as it is for you. And most of the time, it's my rebellion and my pride. It's not God at all. And it's not even the grief at all. It's my rebellion. And I just confess that to you. I'm not in any gross sin. I'm not in anything that would disqualify me in case somebody, it's not that. I'm just a knucklehead of a man of God that has to wrestle with these same things in my life. And, and maybe you're just tired of it. And the Lord wants to meet you and teach you. So they worship the Lord. And wives, you need to speak into your husbands if they don't listen to you. That doesn't matter. Or men, you need to love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is not some religion. And so just come and let, let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Let, let Pastor Ian and Oxa and the team just minister into your heart and let the Holy Spirit get you. Stop messing around. Stop holding on to pride and just open yourself. It's not about the church. It's not about the pastors. It's about your relationship with the Lord. So let him do his work, okay? We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 
888-888-7223 or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.